I'm Chris Farrell from the All Things Good and Nerdy podcast, a wacky weekend morning show, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out right now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and the opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to Play Comics, where once again, I'm just going to be talking to a creator about their cool stuff, because I just can't seem to stop talking to creators about their cool stuff. This time, I have Alan Dunford here talk specifically about issue three of Pocus Hocus. You did it. I'm very glad I could say it the right way. Yes. (laughs) That's success number one. But also issues one and two because he was smart enough to have a catch-up tier in there for people like me who just missed out on issues one and two. So, Alan, how are you today? Hey, I am great. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. I'm really excited to get this going. Um, longtime listeners of the show might remember how issue two kind of sponsored an episode before because that was all we had time to get fit in. So I'm glad that we have time to get a proper episode in this time. Yeah, thank you too, and thank you for clearing your schedule for it. We we only talked about this what maybe a couple days in advance, but we we made it work. So this is awesome. It's the joys of people who can record on the weekend because it's so much easier to fit those in real quick. Oh, definitely, definitely. So for people who don't know, what is your elevator pitch for Pocus Hocus? Um, so in short, Pocus Hocus is a Faustian tale about a magician who sells his soul to a demon to have magical powers. And then one day, as how these deals always go, uh, it doesn't go as expected, and then the demon comes knocking for a fate. And I'm hooked right there. Yeah, okay, great. Because it's one of those things where uh, you recognize, that obviously, this story's been told a million times. I mean, there's a song about it, about a man going down to Georgia to do it, specifically. <laughs> so, you know, we, we really wanted to try to... Um, kind of turn the story on its head a little bit and put in a lot of dark humor and uh, fantasy horror elements to it. Just just really make it our own thing. One of the things I really liked about it, about it though, was kind of like that Animaniac style. You're being serious, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wait, no, that's for this other person. Just like silly little moments like that. And I think that that's really what has double hooked me on this one because that's my kind of humor right there. Oh, awesome. See, it's one of those things where you, you are your own worst critic, and I'll probably say that a hundred times on this episode. Um, and especially with comedy, comedy is so subjective. So the co-writer, Will Radford, and I, whenever we get together and write this thing, we're cracking ourselves up and we think, okay, cool. So we're onto something with some of the deadpan humor and everything. And after we go back and reread it, because we've read the thing a hundred times, we're like, is this even funny? Are people gonna think that we're, this is funny or are they just gonna think we're idiots like we do? <laughs> Well, I mean, being an idiot doesn't mean you're not funny with it. Oh, perfect. Yes, I'm going to put that as a full quote. (laughs) We should do that for real. We could actually do that. Yeah, (laughs) I'm totally down. Yes. 
So what got you guys wanting to write this story? Um, so I'm a big fan of th this medium. My, my big thing is I, I got into comic books relatively late, I think, compared to a lot of the people that I've spoken with because my, my interest in comic books, uh, unfortunately, only came in whenever something was super popular or a movie was being made on it. You know, I didn't do any outside research or anything like uh, V for Vendetta, 300, all the usual suspects, right? Uh, but my, my love for the type of comic book stuff actually comes from manga. Um, and that, that's always just kind of fueled my imagination. And then when I go back and look at some of the stuff in Pocus Hocus, I, I see some of the influences from some of the manga that I've read. It's kind of cool. Uh, but for Will, he actually has a theater background. And he, he does short films, writes screenplays. And this was just kind of one of those things that I think a lot of people uh, might be able to relate to this, especially current and new creators. Uh, 2020 pandemic, right? You, you you have a lot of time now to think, it feels like, especially with lockdowns and how certain things are going. And I, I just called Will up. Uh, we've, we've been friends since high school. So I, I just called him up and said, hey man, I kind of had this idea for a, a comic book. And it, this was even before we had a name for it. And uh, I, I pitched it to him. And it was totally different how it was now because whenever we had the comic book concept, I'm a huge fan of the show Twilight Zone. And it, I, I wanted it to be episodic, kind of like the, uh, the, I, the Ice Cream Man, that comic book series. So it was gonna be this, uh, not even so much funny, but just kind of like a horror comic about this evil magician who pulls the audience members on stage and just does all this creepy, horrific stuff. And the audience is unaware of what's happening to the volunteer or victim on stage. Um, and then we, we kind of tossed that a little bit to the side. And uh, we did put some elements into it, as you will talk about later in issue two. Um, but we, we decided on a more linear story uh, with some dark humor and just try to really hammer in some of the, uh, the fun demonic stuff that we kind of had uh, rustling around a little bit. How long were y'all sitting on this one before you found an artist to work on it with you? Um, not that long, actually. We, we finished the first draft uh, for the script for issue one in October of 2021. And then, wait, was it October 2020? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, it was 2020, I believe. Time is irrelevant and back then anyway. I know. Yeah, I know, right? So yeah, it feels like it's just a blur. <laughs> but um, yeah, we finished the script in October and then we got linked up with Brian, um, but we, we fell in love with his artwork and he didn't have any openings in his schedule until February. So it was one of those, well, do we find somebody else or do we go with the guy that really in our gut feels right? Like we didn't want to be impatient. So we waited for Brian's schedule to open up and then now we, we could not be happier. With, with anything. So yeah, we, we viewed Brian's portfolio. He's into Hellboy-esque drawings um, and he's big in the horror and we all kind of like the same thing. So it was just, it was just kind of perfect, man. So how did you find Brian? My good friend, Mike Teener, he is really the big catalyst for pushing everything forward with Pocus. So w without him, I don't know where this project would be because he's already ingrained himself into the indie community. He's written such titles as uh, Midnight Highway and Black Jackets. Uh, his big new one is uh, Dead and Moon, which that, that was awesome. But um, he actually worked with Brian before and he read the script and he thought Brian would just be great for it. And then we, we decided to go ahead and put splashes of color in there 
as well. And that's how we got linked up with Jason Smith and then Dave Lentz, who Mike's worked with before on numerous projects. He was eager to take it on as well. So that's where our letter came into play. And I love how you're just instantly jumping into like every person who's working on this here, knowing that it is a team effort. Oh, without a doubt. Like there is, I, I, I'm not naive. Um, without these guys, especially, I, I do want to give a huge shout out to Dave because he has been such a guiding force in this. Dave's been lettering for however long, and he does it in his sleep at this point, I feel like, because every time I talk to him, he's doing a new book. Um, but he was really instrumental in getting this thing going and, and really keeping Will and myself on the right track. So most of the time when I talk to people about these, one of the characters is definitely them, whether they intended it to be that way or not. So which one of the characters are you? Man, I, I want to say uh, I want to say the demon, but it's definitely not. Uh, I, I feel like I put a lot of myself into focus a little bit, just because um, you know I, I I guess for you know just to throw it out there, you know my, my father and I we, we had a, a rocky relationship before he passed away, and you can kind of see that in some of the elements that we have with focus. And I didn't think about it at the time until I was writing it. And after we went back and read it, and then another, um, we were on another podcast for issue two when we were pitching that, they, they just straight up asked that question, the, the same one you did. And I didn't think about it until it hit in the middle of their question. You have like that weird out-of-body experience, you know? Um, and you're just like, oh, man, I put a lot of myself <laughs> into that. So I guess we're going to see that popping up somewhere in issue four through six then. Or at least the out-of-body experience part. Yeah, so we, we were so happy with how the story's progressing so far. Uh, and I'm not sure how much you want you want to touch on it or anything, but we, we finally get to go to some really fun and crazy places. And we just really finally get to just throw everything at the wall. And we, we yeah, just very excited to get this thing out. I mean, heck, let's get into some minor spoiler things. Let's do it. Because with you, you can't go to the Kickstarter for issue three without being spoiled. So I am fully prepared to talk about issues one and two as much as you want to. And then we will lightly touch on three because you actually got a sneak peek and got to see more than most. Woo. Which I'm really excited about. I know. <laughs> so getting here to the end of issue one, the, I, I haven't actually gone and read the Faust tale itself. But, you know, countless things that are obviously riffing on it have obviously injured me. So when you get the knocking on the door and then there's the demons, like, sitting there like, of course it's the demon. The cool thing, I think, is how that interaction happens. Kind of like watching these comic book movies where you know what's going to happen and you're just excited to see how they're pulling it off. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because we didn't know how to, how to really write the story and how to start it off. I think that was the hardest part. Uh, you know, it's always your first line, right? We thought about kind of Quentin Tarantinoing it. We, we start at the end and it, we do like a lifetime movie. You know, it's focused sitting there. You may be wondering how I got here, record scratch. You know, mm -hmm. let's take it all back to the beginning. But we, we decided to kind of take a risk and tell it linearly. And we were afraid that it wasn't really going to jump out at people uh, just because the, all the comic books I love and am into, I, I love a lot of uh, action at the beginning and, you know, just really creepy and uh, crazy characters and everything. But we really wanted to take time to get 
people to know these characters and to develop them. From Pocus to the demon to Emily, his assistant, we really wanted to spend time with everyone to make you care. So how we have issue one structured, you know, we start with Pocus just retelling the story to anyone that will listen, which we thought was a, a really funny way to kind of do it. We we have Pocus telling the story at a bar one night. He's drunk, just telling another drunk man about how he sold his soul to a demon to have magical powers. And it's one of those things where we, we liked how that was structured. And then it led us it smoothly, we felt like, to the present time when the demon comes knocking at the door after he gets home from that bar. And gives you a really good excuse for him to tell the story, too. Because one of the things that I always find really annoying is just needlessly telling people in the world what's going on. Mm -hmm. But you've got that taken care of really well here. Oh, thank you so much. Because we were afraid that it, kind of like you said, we, we wanted to be not so much smart about it, but we wanted to make it make sense for the story. With why this guy is telling the story the way that he is. Plus, being at the bar, if you go weird with it, hey, it was a drunk guy telling the story. It's not my ear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, and that's kind of, that was something that we, we thought about, too, because we, we try to really hone in on inconsistencies or we want to be careful for stuff that just doesn't make sense at all. And it's like, well, why would Pocus tell his story, something he's trying to keep secret, just to a random bar patron? It's like, because he doesn't care. You know, he's drunk, he's letting it flow, and he's just, the guy that even brushes it off, which we thought was really funny, because by the end of it, he's passed out before he even gets to the, the meat and potatoes of the of Pocus telling why he sold the soul. So whose idea was it for the demon to get into gambling debt? I, I think it was kind of a joint idea between Will and myself, because... We we like the idea of playing on the mythos that all demons are gamblers and they love riddles and that they can't pass up a challenge from a mortal just because they th there's just something that drives them to do that. So we wanted a driving force for why would the demon need to come back and ask for focus to help? Him? What what reasoning would would there there be for that? So we thought we were really go play on the idea that souls were used for currency in our version of hell. And the demon just has a gambling problem. <laughs> and then we, we really wanted just to drive with that and just try to have so much fun with it. So, you know, a debt for a debt. So we, we kind of thought the Pope is gambling the soul away. And then the demon just being a gambler himself was just something that we thought was, was kind of a fun concept. And then in talking to the other demons with him, you have the one Spanish-speaking one. Mm -hmm. What kind of feedback have you had from people in just that untranslated Spanish there on the page? Um, so that was something that uh, that demon, uh, actually the, the five demons that you see on there are all based on uh, issue one's Kickstarter because we had a tier where if you donated a certain amount of money, we had it locked for five spots, you get to be a demon in Pocus Hocus issue two. Of course, we didn't tell them at the time that they were going to be killed off, but you know, <laughs> we leave the element of surprise. So one of the backers was actually a really good friend of mine. His name's Arnaldo Solis. He's actually from Honduras. Um, and he's bilingual, one of the smartest people I know. And whenever we were writing his dialogue, I was like, let's, let's just pay homage to Arnaldo's culture. 
Um, and so I had Naldo translate it. And then that gave us the idea of, when we talk about it here in a little bit for the box scene, to have the demon come out and it let the reader know, oh, they put demon X's soul into that mortal body. And we didn't have to translate it or anything. We thought that was just so much fun, especially when he speaks Spanish and then the other demons just answer back. So we kind of, we, we wanted to really plug in context clues with what he was saying. I know I didn't have any problem with it because I don't know Spanish to get myself in trouble. Oh, do you really? That's awesome. <laughs> that makes me really happy to hear. I can order food and get around and be able to ask you a question and then not really know what your answer is. Oh, perfect. Okay, so what did you think whenever you saw that? I saw it and just read it. Oh, <laughs> I love that. It didn't even really hit me for a second. I had to go back and You're like, like Wait a second. why is this a different color? That's got to be important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we wanted to give everything magic its own color and even the speech bubbles. So every demon that talks on the page, they all have a different color uh, text inside of their speech bubble. It's a really nice touch there. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that was um, that was actually Dave's idea initially to do that because what do I know? I don't know about lettering. <laughs> just hearing about some of the things that letterers decide to do it is amazing and i wish i could do it um so that was one of the things that uh, i'm not trying to discount lettering or anything but it's something you don't think about whenever you're first getting into comic books but it is a make or break type of deal you know dave really educated me on you know, so you don't want to do this because this will come up this way to the reader and uh, his biggest contribution that really helped us the most, aside from just having unique lettering style for everything magical happening, was what he did with Ivan, Focus's butler, just to really drive the mania home by cramming all of the words together. And you have to read it that way so that you really get an, an idea into his psyche just for how crazy this person is. I'm just waiting for him to go off on something now, and that it's definitely not something I would have picked up on if he had lettered it, you know, more traditional and words split up and everything. Yeah, so one thing that's funny, you know, you have all the letters that are, are just jammed together. It looks like two cars just hit each other. Um, but then we have some words that are spaced out far enough because we wanted to have a break in the mania. Like Ivan was processing stuff that maybe Pocus was saying or something else. And then it just goes right back to the mania again. It's all it's almost like a baseball umpire where if somebody does a bad job with it, you really notice. And then if they do a good job, like like a normal good job, then mm -hmm. you think about it later and it's like, oh oh yeah, that was pretty good. And if they do an amazing job, then it's sitting right there in front of you and everybody loves it. Right, right. So you mentioned the box scene. Mm -hmm. That is really something I was trying to figure out how they were going to trick people into signing away souls. Yeah, so the box scene was actually the first idea that I had for the episodic series for what was the project titled A Magician. Because it was an idea about a magician leading someone on stage to a mis mysterious box putting them in the box and sending them to hell, and then they come back as something else. I thought that was fun and creepy, 
And of course, we didn't use it whenever we decided to make it linear. But then whenever we were writing, it's like, well, how are we going to do this? So what what is going to be the demon's motivation? How's it going to get Pocus to do this? It's like, okay, well, he has to trick them. But how's, how can he do it? How about he just gives them this obviously evil instrument, which is this giant demonic box? How do we do this? And that's where we put that in there. And the image for the box is actually based off of uh, is these doors from like uh, medieval times just called hell mouths. And we thought it was just something so funny and so ancient. We didn't want it to look like it was a part of Focus's magic show. So we, we did it that way. The first person is easy because you can get them to do whatever because nobody's seen it. I think it really covers up how he's going to be able to trick people two through five now. Yeah, so it's that was one of the things that we wanted to do too, and we thought it was funny to us because Pocus shows up at the after the demon leaves in issue two and tells him what he's going to do. Uh, by the way, I do want to give a big shout out to Brian for drawing. We put it in the notes in the script. We said we want the demon when he's showing Pocus the plan, make it look like a toddler drew it. So we had it set up like that. We we loved that page, and we were laughing so hard whenever we got that back. Um, but we, we liked the idea whenever Pocus came in, because the the idea is that Pocus, he, he battles with his demons, battles with the loss of his father, and he, he does have a drinking problem. And whenever he walks in, his assistant Emily, you know, she makes a joke about him actually being on time and being early. And she lets him know, hey, you're, you're drinking some vanity. He doesn't say anything, doesn't even touch his drink. And then the next panel we have his hands shaking. He's barely able to put on his stage makeup because his hands shaking so bad. And he goes out to leave, and then the box is just there. And Emily asks, what is that? And he says, my reckoning. And we liked the idea of the demon hijacking the magic show, which is why Pocus throws him in there, and then they come back out, and the fireworks just go off, and the audience goes crazy. They all want to be a part of it. So that was really what was driving us to make it the way that it was. How far into writing this did Emily become a really important character for you? Issue one, without a doubt. We, whenever we were making all of our characters, we we wanted there to be a voice of reason because we know the premise is ridiculous. Pocus is very quick-witted and he's a mess of a character. And the demon is just a mirror reflection of Pocus's fears, wants, worries, all that stuff. And they butt heads and they go back and forth. So we wanted Emily to really embody the reader and be the sensible one. But we didn't want to introduce her too early. We wanted her to have impact, and we didn't want to put her in there just to put her in there. Um, that's why in issue one, you only see her in the background for a couple of panels. And then issue two, we, we finally get to you know experience her relationship with Pocus a little bit. And issue three is where it really takes off with uh, how much of a drive force she's going to be for the story. Also, I feel like I should have mentioned this earlier, but when you brought up the page of the plan for the demon, that's the page I have sitting open on that monitor oh, really? right now. <laughs> well, it's a good background for a phone or a computer. <laughs> it really is for people who get it legally. Because you, you should always pay your artists. Yes, yes, do it. <laughs> this is our public service announcement for, for Play Comics. So I mentioned before that one of the things I really like about the Kickstarter is that you have a catch-up tier. Um, I was joking about people just being silly and missing it, but I definitely missed issue one just through the magic of not having it thrown in front of my face. 
And then issue two, I have no excuse at all. So I'm glad that I have a chance here to catch up and get everything so that I can have the entire run because I'm very optimistic in thinking that this is going to get to the full six issues that you guys have planned. Yeah, so we, as of right now, uh, how the story is structured, the six issues is just the first arc. We actually have it mapped out for 12 um, because we we have a lot of unexpected and fun things that we're going to do. So whenever we were writing this initially, it was just like, okay, let's just do a six issue mini. And as we kept going, we're like, we could easily do this in two arcs. And we're just having so much fun and the ideas are flowing. And we're, we're being really diligent with how we put them out because we're, we're cranking. And I, I hate doing this because it's one of those things where I've, I feel bad asking people to help me support my hobby, but I know it's a totally different world. And, you know, you have to get your, your art out there somehow and what you're doing and you want eyes on your projects, but we're we're trying to really keep going with momentum and at least have a Kickstarter and an issue come out every three to four months to, to keep with that. Because as soon as the last page is drawn for issue three, we're writing issue four, the script's already done. And we're already working on the script for five. So how did y'all decide on the different reward levels for this one? Um, this one was actually pretty challenging because once you start getting into, we had one issue for issue one, so there's only so much we can do. And then issue two, it's, you know, we, we, it was, issue two's campaign was actually one of the things that really shocked us because we didn't think that one was going to do that well. Because issue three is the one that we think is going to, everyone's going to absolutely love because we, we have all the build up for one and then it just keeps building for two. And now we finally get to really just cut loose. This is where the story's going now. And it, it, we thought that that was also going to be very indicative of how we structured the Kickstarter. And one of the things we always keep in mind is new readers. We, we always wanted to make sure that anyone that wants to come in can come in at any point and get caught up, just like you were talking about. So catch-up tiers were obviously very important. And the idea for collectors, too, we have variant covers and then all the other works from Bad Bug. Is the, you can get those on there too and get the completed works as well just from all these other great creators that we're involved with under the Bad Bug blanket. Now is Bad Bug something you're doing or something that you're just a part of? So Bad Bug is actually something that I'm a part of. Uh, Mike Tiener is the one who is the, I guess, editor-in-chief for it. And it's a lot of his comic books, but he's also bringing in so much new talent. And the stories for it are all absolutely wild and fun. So if you ever get a chance to check any of them out, you will not be disappointed. And we'll definitely throw a link to them down in the show notes as well. Yeah, wonderful. And the, the other thing, too, is we also want to try to keep it fun and engaging and really on brand. So we have you know, magic wands you can get with custom engravings. You can actually get your own personal soul contract, fun for the whole family. <laughs> you can put any name or anything you want on there. And it, obviously, I'm a huge sucker for t-shirts, so we have different t-shirt options as well. I'm so disappointed I had to kind of hold myself back on this. And what what culture like, interest? I mean, shirts are always cool. All basically everything i mean come on you made a really good group of stuff here oh thank you 
the soul contract might be added on later i haven't decided yet <laughs> yeah so what we do with that because we've had a couple questions you know how, how do we go about it or, or what the process is so after the campaign ends uh we'll shoot you a message on kickstarter and just ask some simple questions hobbies interests what what have you and then we just go from there and just kind of create your own contract and uh, we just have fun with it are you guys going to be actually burning the edges of those and everything too? Yes, that is actually a picture of one that we sent out for the last campaign. So we print them on parchment paper, we age it a little bit, and then we burn it to give a hellacious look. Um, and I'm guessing it's probably a safe bet that whatever you're using to age it tastes pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> Looking at the list of supporters in the back of issue two, um, it is significantly bigger than you have in issue one, which makes sense. I know a lot of people will see an issue one and they'll hold off to make sure that one actually backs. Plus, you know, more people talking about how good something is, people are out there looking for two. How much how long do you think you're going to have before you just have to have a whole page filled up with the names of people who supported you? I'm hoping after this airs, <laughs> we'll, we'll, have the, uh, we'll have the full page. But um, realistically, it's it's very humbling because issue one, we ended up with 72 backers. And it was a lot of people that we knew that backed us, which it's one of those things where... I, I think it was the first timer syndrome, right? Where it's like, oh, how cute. Out and Will made a comic. We'll, we'll help back it and we'll support it. But it, the turnaround from issue one to issue two, because issue one ended with, we had a thousand dollar goal. We ended with a little over $2,000. And we were just so taken back with all the love and support. And that's what I was talking about earlier, because issue three or issue two, we ended with literally a hundred more backers. So we had 172 backers and we ended with over $6,000, which blew our minds. And it's one of those, we hope it wasn't just lightning in a bottle, a one-time thing. And we still have 10 days left and we are setting at 175 backers. So the campaign for issue three, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is the biggest success that we've had. Just because obviously the more readers, the better. And I, I hope that it, it keeps going up. We're unfortunately in the the lull of the, the Kickstarter part where days one through five are incredible. And then it's just nothing <laughs> up until the last two or three days. And that's where we saw the most success with issue two. So we're hoping that we can recreate that a little bit and see just a massive jump. And then if we hit 200 backers, I'll, I'll probably cry. <laughs> Will there be video available publicly of you crying over that? Yes. <laughs> I'll make sure to put it out there. <laughs> no, but for real, man, uh, it's it's just such a uh, it's such a cool thing to see people really get behind this and, and really support it and actually connect with the characters and connect with the story and just genuinely want to see what happens next. Uh, it's a feeling that I, I can't explain. I mean, this one is just what I've seen so far. It's, it's a ton of fun, and it's definitely one that I'm going to pass over to my wife and add to her ever-growing pile of things I've told her to read. So in like a year <laughs> oh, when she gets yeah. around to it, I know she'll like it. Well, great. I can't wait to hear her review on issue two when issue five is out. 
<laughs> Honestly, that timeline is probably about right. Oh, really? <laughs> so how long is it going to be before you have some kind of theme song to throw in as a reward? Oh, man. So we could probably do it at the end of four, maybe. Uh, because how issue four ends is, is pretty wild. So we could probably have a good ode to Pocus or a uh, an ode to the situation at hand, however we want to do it. So would that be more like prog rock stuff or crunchy or what? Uh, Pocus is definitely in the gent. Oh, this is going to be so much fun then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a huge fan of Bella Maya, so we're, we're just going to go with that. I feel like that's already more spoilery than you were ready to tell me. <laughs> For all the people listening to this, this is the joys of recording with video, because as I'm talking here to Alan, there's guitars behind him. There's some effects pedals on the floor. So, you know, this is why I come in and don't have a list of questions that I'm hard-coded into. I will ask you all of these because I, I will focus too much on those and not pay attention to what's going on. <laughs> um, well, seeing as how you can see my background, I'm also going to say, I, I, I thought you were a cool guy, but you're very rude because you haven't asked about my cat yet on, on since we started recording. How come your cat hasn't shown up in the comic yet? Um, <laughs> um, because she hasn't backed it yet. She didn't back the tier that puts her in the comic book. So mm. I can't show favoritism. Yeah. She's a bum. You can. She's a cat. I know. <laughs> uh, fine. I'm going to have to do that. Uh, I'll, I'll see if she's good this week. And then I'll decide. I mean, for like cat levels of good, right? Because we want her to have success here. Oh, yeah, no, the bar is very low. I just have to at least sleep past six o'clock and then I'll be okay. Oh, sleeping past six. That sounds so amazing right now. <laughs> oh, man, I know. Between work and everything, it's just that. Between work and then a, a cat that is 10 years old that still acts like she's three months old is just, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> I have my three where two of them, and which two it is, is always rotating, but two of them are always fighting with each other. <sighs> it's just like growing up with my brother and sister. Oh, yeah. So it's... I, I don't have any siblings, so I, I think that this did me in. I, I think that I, I adopted my sibling, so I have to uh, you know deal with that now. <laughs> So eventually, are we going to get a collected edition of Hocus Hocus? Yeah, so that is something that Will and myself have been kind of tossing around. And we are in the works of actually trying to get some cool ideas together, some fun ideas together for a trade paperback. And even trying to find, I guess, pull our resources together and find somewhere good for a hardcover edition for Hocus Whenever you look online and see the the sites and all this stuff, you, you want to really be careful because quality assurance is, is at the, the peak of what we want to do for our readers because we never want to deliver them anything that we would never want to receive. So that's why we put so much into the comic book and make sure the art is where it is to have the stories lined up. 
because above anything, this is a passion project. And we also want that to reflect in what is being mailed to the reader and the money that they're, they're giving to us to, to look at it. So Alan, since you did come in prepared, you know I'm going to have to ask you this because it's the question I ask everybody. And I'm sure you have an answer ready. Who's your favorite Muppet? I, I hate to be that guy. I might have to just say Kermit. He's my dude. Muppet Show Kermit or Movie Kermit, though? Movie Kermit. He's definitely got his stuff together. He's always the voice of reason. I prefer slightly asshole Kermit myself. Do you really? I Damn, do. I, I, I like the I like the Kermit that is um, oh shoot I can't think of the name now. It's the song that plays on every Disney radio station. Rainbow Connection. Thank you. <laughs> listening to the song is a fate worse than death, but it's stuck in your head, and when it's over, you're like, oh, maybe that wasn't so bad. But then when it starts up again, you're like, oh no, why is the song starting up again? Because it's amazing, and I might tear up when I hear it. Okay, so will you post a video of yourself crying over Rainbow Connection if we get to 200 backers, and I'll post a video of myself crying over 200 backers? Yeah, I'm down for that. Okay, sweet, cool, good trade. And also, what is the worst job you have ever had? Um, the worst job I've ever had was I took a job in digital marketing. And it was a new position that they added for a local news station. And they really sold me on it. Um, and it turned out to be the worst, like, five months of my life. And I, I used that as a learning experience to be cautious in jumping into brand new positions where they try to promise guarantees instead of deliver. So like, did they not know what a digital marketing person was supposed to do or what? So it wasn't even so much that, it was just a brand new position to, because the the, the TV station, obviously they go out, they get commercials from local car dealers or local businesses to, to throw on local channels and everything like that. And that's all well and good. It's, it's, it's been around forever, people do that. Um, but they also wanted to get into digital advertising. So I was their dude, but the job itself was just absolutely miserable and the pay was even worse than the job probably. But they, they had the guarantee of like, oh, well, you're going to make a killer commission and you never did. So you really, you, you get involved with that and then you have to hit that eject button. And uh, I left that pretty quick. That sounds like about 98% of commission jobs that I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that they put the heavy emphasis on the commission portion instead of the salary portion. So I, uh, I hated that job. Well, on a much happier note, if you had to give somebody one or two reasons to back Pocus Hocus right now, what would those reasons be? Uh, reason one would be issue one and reason two would be issue two. It's really succinct, but I can't argue with that at all. <laughs> no, uh, I I do think that this comic book, and I'm not just saying it because it's, it's mine. Well, you know what? I am going to say it because it's mine. Whatever. This is this is my interview. No, uh, I, I do think that people will, will really like this, and I, I think it's fun. 
I, I think that this is something that can pull us out of reality for a little bit and then we can just have a blast reading it and just want to see something that's going to happen next and maybe you'll see something unexpected or or something that you know really just resonates with you well i have nothing to do with the making of this book but i will 100 percent back everything you just said there oh well thank you so much there we go <laughs> alan it has been great talking to you about all of this if people want to hear more from you where else can they find you around the internet yeah so you can actually find me on twitter uh my user handle is at chaps of fury unashamed that's my gamer tag so i just stuck with it right and if you have any questions or anything you can reach out to will or myself at pocushocuscomic at gmail.com and that email address is also linked to our kickstarter account and yeah we'll, we're usually pretty diligent about trying to get back with people as soon as possible so yeah any questions at all just feel free to reach out and just like always we will have links to all that stuff down in the show notes because it's so much easier than trying to remember how to spell things 120%. I was thinking 130. Disappointed um, in you now. Yeah, well, we'll meet in the middle. 125? Cool. That'll work. Okay, sweet. No souls involved. Oh, that was me, my nice. As always, if you want to hear more from me, you can head on over to playcomics.com where there's links to all the social media stuff, all the fun things like that. Yeah, you kind of know the drill by now. If you want to help support the show, that's also where you can go. Playcomics.com slash support. Link to Patreon. Link to Kofi. Link to all kinds of crazy ways that you can give me some support. But most of all, really, just take this podcast, find somebody who has shown an interest in hearing it, and shove it right into their ear holes. Make sure you get that consent, though. That is very important. Don't forget that Play Comics is a part of the Gunna Geek Podcast Network, home to a bunch of other wonderfully geeky shows my favorite other one of which is legends of shield because they come let me talk and so far at least i have not had to edit anything yet although i have sure given sp some good technical runs for his money on some stuff if you like the music that we're rudely talking on top of right now head on over to soundcloud.com best dash day to check out best day's music but most of all just grab a game grab a stack of comics and go find yourself a new favorite character.